Thank you. Vanna White, everyone. Um, as we're turning to Matthew chapter 5, one of the things that, uh, when you deal with a family member who's struggling with their health and pondering whether or not uh, they're going to make it through a certain situation, because I think we all get there, right? Um, and that person is a believer. It is amazing to me when we continue to remind one another that, yeah, God could heal you and remove the problem, or God could use doctors and medical system to take care of the issue or allow you to continue to go forward struggling with whatever the health issue is, or God can decide to bring you home to heaven. And oftentimes we have this idea that that is a failure. And it's not. We talk about God can heal you by miracle, God can heal you by doctor, or God can give you the ultimate healing and take you home. And uh, just something that uh, has been on my mind, you know, for several weeks, because when you're dealing with a relative that you're wondering whether or not this is the time that God's going to uh, bring them home, that it's not a failure that it's actually the best thing that could happen. And how many of us have ever lost a loved one and they've gone off to heaven, and would we actually want them to come back? You know how angry I would be at you if I went to heaven and then you prayed me back? What's wrong with you people? I finally went home to be with the Lord. No, God says, "Ah, I'm sorry, you'll be here for a little while, but back home, they, they really want you bad. Okay, and we just dealt with this when we're looking at the book of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say two things that we're very familiar with. And they said, listen, king, our God is able to deliver us. But if not, we're still not going to bow down. Well, those are the two things we remember quite often. But there's a phrase in the middle that sometimes we often leave out. And they said, God might deliver us, king, He might not, either way, but in the middle, they say, God will deliver us out of your hand. And what a reality. They realize whether or not they died in the furnace or God delivered them, either way, God was going to do something special. Whether it was, hey, God's going to help us walk in the fire, or We go to heaven. Either one, they said, that is God delivering us from your hand. So they think, man, Lord, I'd love to get rid of this cancer. God, could you give me a miracle and get rid of the cancer? And God says, sure, I'll get rid of the cancer because you're going to heaven. The cancer's gone. We always sometimes are are so hesitant in, in remembering that God wants to deliver us. So he delivers me from the cancer, but I still got the bad back and the bad eyes and the, you know, everything else. You know, going to heaven someday, that assurance that we have, the last verse of that song we just sang, I have a home prepared for me since I have been redeemed, where I shall dwell eternally since I have been redeemed. Because of that, I will glory in my Savior's name. Amen? Uh, 
the future is so much better than what we've got now. Why don't we go out, out strutting around telling us, man, you don't know my God and what he's got prepared for me. Anyway, there's a commercial. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, been a few weeks, so I'm going to do a little bit of a reminder here. Remember the book of Matthew was written to uh, the Jews as Matthew is presenting Jesus Christ as the king, that one that was promised who would literally and physically sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. Okay, and that God had promised that. Uh, he promised a kingdom of heaven that would accompany that, that is specifically for the Jews. Okay, and we looked into that. There are so many things. I'm not going to re-preach that today. But he had, uh, his focus is the Jewish Messiah. Okay, and that's the perspective that Matthew is approaching it from. John, Mark, Luke, they approach it from different perspectives. Matthew's is, hey, Jews, your king is here. Okay. Get yourselves ready. He's here. Then he, we looked at that he had given a call, and we talked about that. And this will be up here by way of review, just because I want us to continue to keep these things in the forefront of our mind. The king's call that he offers to everyone, and the question is, where are we in this call? Okay, number one, he has a call to salvation. We saw that with uh, Peter and James and Andrew and John. Uh, that he had a call to service, that not only did he meet them and reach out to them, then he said, listen, if you follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Okay, you're not just recognizing me as Messiah. I'm going to do something special in you if you would follow me. Then he tells the sacrifice. Later on, they left all and followed him. So not only did they receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Messiah, then they began to serve him and get promises of, listen, I'm going to do something special in you. Then Jesus finally comes and says, guys, follow me. And they left all. Okay, then we talked about um, that separated leadership, that after a while being trained by Jesus, Jesus sends them out by twos to start ministering into the world. Okay, then he called to shepherding, um, where at the end Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yeah, sure, I love you, Lord. Well, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, feed my sheep. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Honest to goodness, Lord. You know. Okay, this is the Craig abridged version. Um, and he says, feed my sheep. He wants those who are in that position, in that answering the call, to start ministering to God's people. And this is the progression. Amazing growth pattern here. I'm not going to make a judgment call. I let you ask God, Father, where am I in this picture? Am I serving? Have I sacrificed? Am I actually separating unto leadership? Is God doing something in me where I shouldn't just be sitting around, that I should be actually stepping up and doing something? All right. So that, I just wanted to put that as a run. Don't be surprised if you keep seeing that. You're going to get so sick of it. You're going to see it when your eyes are closed. All right? Next slide. We entered into the second section of Jesus' ministry. Okay? We had saw the presentation of the king. Now we're seeing the public ministry of the king. Keep going. Okay? A simple breakdown of this book in that aspect about Jesus is 5 through 7 for his public ministry. What Jesus said, what Jesus did, and then how the people responded to it. All right? Just... Given it, it's been four weeks since we looked at this, so I want to remind us where we are. Keep going. So we're looking here at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. 
Okay, these are known as the Beatitudes. All right, uh, we looked at the first four of them last time we were together. Okay, it's the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount, probably one of the most famous passages in Christendom. I hate to say Christianity, I mean across the board, whether or not they're Bible-believing, God-fearing people or not, this is a very familiar passage. All right, and we're going to continue in that today. Next slide is, oh, at the bottom. Uh, go back to that. Okay. It's one of the most mishandled passages, and we talked about that. And we're going to remind ourselves of this again. When we talk about this as the tenets of the kingdom, this is what someone who belongs to uh, the kingdom that Jesus Christ is the king over ought to act a certain way. Um, another way to put this is this is the constitution of Jesus' kingdom. Okay, we are constitutional people. We believe in the Constitution. We live by the Constitution. When Jesus is laying out these Beatitudes, he's saying, this is somebody who, if you're in my kingdom, you should do this. This should be a reflection of your life. All right? And some people misunderstand this and misuse this because they think this is the way to get to salvation. If you keep these eight things as a part of you, then you're a believer. You're on your way to heaven. Just like if you say, if you're able to keep the Ten Commandments. Okay, we know that that's not the truth. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We understand that you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It is not about keeping any law or keeping any lists of constitutional guidelines for the kingdom. That's why this is mishandled, because there are people out in this world who think, if I live a good life, then I'm going to heaven. Okay, and we know that that is not what the scripture teaches, but that's why I want to warn again, when you read books and commentaries and you hear people talk about this Sermon on the Mount and these Beatitudes, that people think, if I could just live like this, then God will be pleased with me and I'm going to heaven. Okay? God is pleased with you because you apply the blood of Jesus Christ and your sins are forgiven. The sacrificial uh, death of Christ and his resurrection is where we got victory, not by our behavior. Sorry, this is all review. I know it's boring you, but let's get back into it, all right? Um, next is, blessed means happy. Okay, these are qualities that are not natural for people. People think, how to be happy? Fill my bank account. Okay, how to be happy? Uh, get a nice big house and a nice big car and a nice big fishing boat and, you know, get all those things around me that I need to live a happy life. This is completely opposite that, Right? Poor in spirit, hunger and thirst after righteousness, mourn, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted. These are not listed as, you know what, I know how to be happy. I'm going to be persecuted. That'll make me happy. Okay, this is not natural, okay? And so what Jesus here is saying is something brand new to them and new to us. You look around this world and people judge what's going to make them happy Compared to what Jesus is saying, if you're a member of my kingdom, let me tell you what would really, truly make you happy. Okay? These truths, <clears throat> excuse me, even though this is a Jewish king speaking to a Jewish people about his kingdom, we can still learn a lot about these truths. Okay? Remember it talks about, blessed are the meek, for they shall uh, inherit the earth. Guys, we as Christians don't inherit the earth. That's a Jewish promise. But does he expect us to be meek? Yes, okay, that's a reflection of who Jesus is. 
So when we look at these, this is why it's very important we understand this the way that Matthew is writing it. That this is speaking directly to Jews. But there are truths we can learn. All right? Here we go. These are not how a person becomes a Christian. These are qualities that only... uh, that are only able to be present in a person who trusts Jesus Christ as Savior. So we look at these things and say, all right, Lord, this is what I, I, you want me to be, so I'm going to be this. Well, that's only possible if you're a believer. Now, I know there's a lot of people who try to make this approach. How many of you know people who try to live a good life? And who will tell you that they're doing this to please God, and earn brownie points. I sat next to somebody in the, in the airport, uh, in the airport, in the plane on the way home, a great fella, um, talked my ear off. You thought I could talk a lot. This guy, I would be like, uh-huh. Yeah, I know. Just, I mean, made the flight go shorter, I guess, because uh, I, I, asked me about that. I can tell you this guy's whole life. Man, between the hundred and seventh and and his you know his children and what they're doing and where they are and who they are and his surgeries and wow, but one of the things that was awesome is he found out that uh, you know I am a pastor and he, so he kept calling me Reverend the whole time Reverend and um, so the cart goes by with a uh, with the snacks on it and everything else he says hey you gonna buy you something uh, he says they got uh, good whiskey here on this plane. <laughs> I'm like, if I have to listen to you much more, probably, no. But, uh, and I said, no, I said, John, you have to do that. He says, well, no. He says, this is how I'm going to heaven, man. I buy the preachers some food, and it gets me earned brownie points with God. Okay, and unfortunately, there is a lot of people in religious sects who think exactly that. That if they can do good things, that they're balancing out that scale, I have so many sins, but maybe if I buy the reverend a Coke, it'll take a little bit off of that. And we got to be careful that living a life that reflects these character qualities in your life is not what makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is trusting Christ as your Savior. Only when you have trusted Christ as your Savior can you approach these things. How do I know that? By faith, it is in... Uh, make sure I get that without faith it is impossible to please God okay so only by faith are we able to please God you cannot please him unless you have faith unless you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior there are a lot of people in this world who are trying to live these beatitudes thinking they're making God happy and God says first of all I sent my son my only son to die for your sins you know what would make me happy receive his gift then we'll work on the rest of it. Again, I'm just trying to warn you because when we get to these, you can talk to people from other churches and they're like, oh yeah, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, I live those every day. But if they're doing it to earn their way to heaven, they've got a rude awakening coming real soon. Okay, We want to, want to make sure that these things are present because we are a member of his kingdom. Not we're trying to get to be in his kingdom, so we're doing these things. Okay, same thing with the Ten Commandments. You and I can't keep them, can we? Okay, if you hesitate on that, let me just put one out there. Thou shalt not lie. How many many of you lied? Okay. Then you're lying right now. Okay, 
We can't do it. It is based upon what Jesus Christ has done, not what we can do. All that being said, let's keep going. So there are eight of them. We talked about the first four. They are the passive qualities. They are who we are as believers. And the last four that we're going to look at today are more active qualities, are how we, what we do, how we act as believers. All right, so the passive qualities were, blessed are the poor in spirit, not poor. And again, people look at this and say, blessed are you if you are poor. No, it's poor in spirit. What does this mean? I depend wholly at 100% upon God for everything. You could be poor in spirit and be one of the wealthiest people in the world. How do I know that? Moses, Abraham, Job, they were very wealthy men, but they were poor in spirit. Okay, they had a dependency, they had a dependency on God. doesn't matter what you have or don't have. It's your understanding that you have it because God has blessed you with it. Or you don't have it because God hasn't blessed you with it. Okay? He talked about blessed are they that mourn. And again, we're not talking about just being a pickle puss. Okay? I meet people all the time that get the Eeyore syndrome, right? My dad always calls up his thing. He's like, thanks for noticing me. Okay, you remember Eeyore, right? Builds himself a little stick house, and they come by and say, oh, what a nice house. And he's like, wind's probably going to blow it down tomorrow. We all know folks like that. That is not what we're talking about, having you know, a mopey spirit. What the Word of God talks about here is having, having a sorrowful spirit because of our sin. Okay, Remember the Apostle Paul says, listen, I'm glad you're mourning. I'm glad you're sorrowful because this is a godly sorrow to bring you to repentance. Okay, this isn't something, and we just talked about this with Dan in, in Sunday school, okay, that we're all going to have sins we struggle with. What do you do with it? Do you just look the other way and let it go by, or do we get this attitude of, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm trying every day, but I blow it. That's what we're talking about. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Okay, blessed are the meek. Okay, we talked about this. Meekness is not weakness. Okay, meekness is strength under control. You know what's a great uh, illustration? I saw a video on my phone of a Clydesdale. Okay, you know these Clydesdales, these gigantic, humongous horses. And at the end of the reins is like a little three-year-old girl just walking. And that horse is coming right along with her. That horse could just yank its head and that little girl go flying 60, 70 feet. Okay, but... The strength was under control. That's what we're talking about. Our, my God, Jesus Christ, could have called 10,000 angels in a moment. He was that powerful. Could have wiped out anybody he wanted to at any moment in time. But because he was having strength under control, he was meek. You know, we sing that song, right? He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He didn't because he had strength, but it was under control. It was set within the frame of not my will, but thy will be done. Not weakness, just your strength surrendered to God. Last one, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Okay, having a desire to be more like our Savior. All right, so that was last time. Now, let's look at these. The active qualities. First one, 
So if you're in Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and describing these qualities that members of your kingdom should show in their lives. Father, I know this was directed at Jews in particular, but Lord, we can learn so much about the behaviors of members of your kingdom. Father, thank you so much for sending your son. Lord, not to give us guidelines to live by so we can earn our way to heaven, but for sacrificing, Father, that he for once, forever, could take away the penalty of sin. Lord, thank you so much for that. Lord, help us have understanding. Be with my mouth and my mind. Help me to say those things which will best be used by your Holy Spirit to bring us closer to you today. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at the first one. Blessed are the merciful, so they shall obtain mercy. And I like this because uh, uh, how God can, puts these things together. And Dan was talking this morning about this courtroom situation where uh, the judge is supposed to have an unbiased opinion so he could offer justice. Okay, There's a difference between justice and mercy. Okay, justice is taking the truth of the law and the truth of the situation and weighing the two against one another and coming up with the proper decision in, in light of what has happened. Okay, and so justice, when justice is served, is you get forgiveness or leniency or punishment based upon the crime committed. Okay, mercy is something completely opposite of that. Mercy is getting forgiveness in spite of what you've done. Mercy is you deserve everything you're going to get, yet you don't get it. And this is something when it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Um, I could talk about you, but I don't need to. I can just talk about my own self. I know how I mess up every single day. Every single day. I fall short of what God wants me to be. And God, as the ruler of the universe, almighty, sovereign God, has every right to exact punishment on me, doesn't he? But my God is merciful. And even though justice would say, you sinned, here's the punishment, Mercy says, you sin, but I'm still going to forgive you. That's what my God does for me every day. And Jesus says, you want to be representative of my kingdom? Be merciful. 
How many of us have had someone do things to us that we don't like? They've wronged us in some way. And we have every right to be angry and to exact some sort of revenge or punishment and to be indignant. But if there's one thing we need to remember is um, God is merciful and he expects us to be merciful. Now there's a couple of stories we can pull out in the scripture. You remember the one where the fellow had owed the governor quite a bit of money and he begged for forgiveness, begged that he wouldn't get thrown in jail and the, the uh, Lord showed him mercy and then he turns around and goes out and finds a guy who owes him a couple of bucks and throws him in jail because he didn't pay it and how angry the Lord was because the Lord had shown him a, a tremendous amount of mercy in forgiving this debt that was too big for him to ever pay. And he went out and didn't show mercy to that person who owed him just a little tiny bit. God wants us to remember that we need to show mercy because he is merciful. Now, uh, let me throw another question, another thought at you. And this one is crazy to me, and I don't really understand it. I'll tell you right up front. In the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, it says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are in debt to us. Right? Or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. What is that? Is there a sliding scale there? That God's forgiveness is based upon how we forgive others? I don't know. I wish I could tell you. But he says... Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But if you don't forgive people's trespasses, wish I could tell you. I really don't know what that means, because I know God has forgiven us, past, present, and future, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's forgotten as far as the east is from the west, buried in the depths of the sea, never to be remembered again. Yet he says, be careful. Because the way you forgive others is the way you're going to be forgiven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive or obtain mercy. God loves us in spite of ourselves. He shows us mercy in spite. He knows tomorrow I'm going to mess up. And he still shows me mercy. What a great God we have. But we're supposed to go out and show mercy to others. Next one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, another interesting aspect in the fact that this is written to a Jewish culture by a Jewish king. Um, no man has seen God at any time, the Bible says. We've seen the Lord Jesus Christ when he was here, those who walked with him. But it's interesting here. Uh, the pure in heart. Now, uh, we just talked about the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. We are pure in the fact that we don't have sin anymore as an issue in our lives. But there's something a little different, I think, here when the gods try to tell us. Look at uh, Psalms. I got it written here on the board. Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand upon his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. 
one of the things that, and I know it's because uh, Dan and I have talked about it before, it's kind of a, a little bugaboo here, you know, uh, kind of this weird catch-22 in Christianity. We think because we've been forgiven of our sins, that means we can go out and live however we want because God forgives it, right? And we talk about that, you know, Christian eraser. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that the fact that we know that in the scripture, the word be perfect doesn't mean be sinless, but God still says, listen, you should strive to be perfect. Now, I'm never going to reach perfection, but my sins are forgiven. So does that mean I go out and sin as much as I want? And Galatians said, listen, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. He still wants us to be pure in heart. Yes, I might have my sins forgiven and the penalty for sin is taken away, but God still wants me to strive for purity within. And too many times Christians get this idea that, well, we're all set, we're forgiven, I'm, I'm pure and white as snow in the eyes of God. Why do I have to try to be pure? Well, God says, listen, if, if you want to approach God, if you want to be the kind of person that reflects God, you ought to be striving for purity in your life. Now, here in the Old Testament, and this is where this understanding the Jewish culture Who's going to be able to stand on his holy mount in his holy place? Only those who are pure. Okay, so he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, this is a cool thing. When you read Psalm chapter 24, this is a second coming passage. Go to the next slide. How do I know that? Well, the end of the chapter. Lift up your hands, O ye gates, lift them up. Um, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? Who is the Lord of hosts? He is the King of glory, Selah. This is talking about, listen, when he comes again, this is when we will be able to spend time in his holy mount, in his presence. This is when you will see God. When are the Jews actually going to be able to spend time with their Savior, their Messiah, when he finally comes and delivers them? So blessed are the pure in spirit for they shall see god you get this picture here but does god ask us for purity absolutely so what about you and me as christians look at the next slide as a christian first peter 122 seeing you have purified your souls okay say wait a second wait 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 wait, wait, wait. i thought jesus christ his blood forgave us of our sins it does but here peter is trying to remind us guys you're making an effort to live the life that god wants you to live he says seeing that you have purified your souls that doesn't mean i've taken away my sin but that means i'm trying to live a life that reflects who god is in my life i'm trying to live a pure you you try Listen, I'm not every day running around going, okay, Father, let's see how many sins I could commit today. I'm going to push your mercy right to the end of the limit. No, as a believer, you ought to be trying your best to live a pure life before God. So he says, seeing that you're trying to live this pure life, you're trying to purify your soul, look at the three things that are important here. 
And I couldn't help but think of this in Sunday school when we were talking about how important it is to have a church family and have brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, number one, you have purified your soul in obeying the truth. You want to know how to purify your heart? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to thy word. You want to have a pure life before God? Spend time in his word. Number two, through the Spirit. Hey, you want to know who convinces and convicts us of sin? Who will bring to remembrance those things that Jesus taught us? He left us a comforter. So he says, I give you the word of God, I give you the Holy Spirit. And the last one, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, seeing that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. We say all the time, part of the discipleship we teach is there are three things that God has left in this world to help us survive and help us to grow as a believer. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and the local church. All three of them are listed here. You want to know how you can achieve pureness in your life? Not sinlessness, but pureness. Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and God's people. And people say, well, you know, I'm a believer. I asked Jesus into my heart a long time ago. I know I'm going to heaven. But I don't think I need to go to church anywhere. And you know what? Uh, Even though I do go to church every Sunday, I don't really need to read my Bible. You know, I hear it enough now and then from the preachers. I turn on my radio. God's left us three things to help us to be pure. The Word of God, be in it. The Holy Spirit, listen to him, and God's people. Get in this church, get in a church, get in fellowship with God's people because he's left us with a family to help us to survive. That's why it's important. Get with brothers and sisters who can hold you accountable. All right, I'm going to put a thought in here. Do we come to church every Sunday morning just to listen to me talk? Just to listen to Dan talk? Sing a song before the Lord? Maybe add some offering money to the plate? Or do we come here because we know we're part of a family and God could use us to encourage or be encouraged? I hope you come here every Sunday going, somebody in this building needs me today. Do you think that way? I hope you don't come in going, all right, bless me, preacher. I dare you. We're a family. And if there's nothing you've learned from Sunday school recently, God has laid out through uh, Timothy how important it is for elder women, younger women, older men, younger men, how they tie together, how they help one another in this walk that we have. I hope when you come to God's family every Sunday, Wednesday, you get to look around and say, you know, Brother Jim, you thought if you didn't sit up here, I wouldn't pick on you anymore, right? You're hiding back there next to Mary and forget it. Brother Jim just doesn't look right today. Something's on his mind, I could tell. Well, go ask him. Are you okay, Jim? Did you get enough eggs today? Do you see what it says? Unfeigned love of the brethren. That you reach out with a pure heart fervently. 
This is why sometimes we're praying downstairs and I say, Lord, help Dan as he stands behind the pulpit and shares the word of God. Help me as I stand behind the pulpit and share the word of God. And help our people as we share the word of God with each other. Because we don't just come here to listen to two guys stand up here and, and jabber for a couple hours. We come here because God has put us in a place where as his family we get to help one another. Come here on a Sunday thinking, God's going to use me today and his people. Please. If not, we're missing out. You're missing out. I'm missing out. Man, I might need somebody to just love on me. Come back from 24 days with my parents and I'm like, <gasps> and somebody says, it's so nice to have you home. I'm like, thank you. You don't know how much that means to hear that. We missed you. Thank you. Because this is my family. There's a, a, a part about being in this unity to help us to grow, to be what God wants us to be. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and God's people. So important. Keep going. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, one of, this again is one of those funny things that people take out of place from the word of God. Well, we need to go around this planet and make sure there's absolutely no war because we're supposed to be peacemakers. Hey, we want to make sure that there's never any fighting, that there's never anything like that going in the world. Uh, look at this word, verse that I wrote down here from Matthew chapter 10. Jesus himself, if you've got a red letter Bible, it says it in red because Jesus said this. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth, I came not to send peace, but a sword. Now that doesn't jive with most of the stuff we hear, is it? Well, you know, Jesus came and we as Christians are here to make sure that there's peace on this entire world. And you know how I get quirked on this on Christmas. You know how the, uh, Christmas says, says, peace on earth, goodwill to our men. That is not what the verse says. When Jesus is here, it says, and on earth, peace. Why? Because peace was on earth. Jesus was here on earth. Okay? Jesus said, listen, I didn't come to bring peace. What, 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 what? He wants World War III? Not what he's talking about. This is peace with God that we are talking about. Okay, look at Ephesians. Next slide. Ephesians chapter 2. He is our peace who hath both made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity and the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself between one man so making peace. Jesus is our peace. He came and made peace. And the next verse says, he came and he preached peace to them that were afar off. Jesus is our peace. So when we are peacemakers, we're not talking about going out in this world and stopping every little argument. Because Jesus said, I came to cause arguments. If you read the rest of that context, it says, mother against daughters, fathers against sons. People are not going to believe the same way. <laughs> we just talked about this in Sunday school. I love how God dovetails these things together. If you look in this, we are in a culture that 
we've never seen so many people bickering back and forth about stuff like they do today. Well, you know, we need to stop these people from arguing about and fighting and have differing opinions. That is not what this verse is talking about. You've seen this bumper sticker, right? No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. So when it says, blessed are the peacemakers, how will we make peace? If Jesus is our peace, and you know him, that's how you get peace. A peacemaker is someone who tells people about Jesus. That's what this is about. Okay, there are going to be roars, roars? Wars and rumors of wars, and it's never going to stop because we live in a society that is cursed by sin. There is no way ever in this world, I shouldn't say that, that we are going to achieve peace. There is one who does come and achieves temporary peace between mankind. His name is Antichrist. He's the one who is able to get man to live in a lack of war. But that is not what this peacemaker means. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those are the ones who are going and introducing our peace to other people. Jesus is our peace. This last verse down here. Wherefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You want peace? You get Jesus. So a peacemaker is someone who goes and tells people about Jesus. Because that is the only way you're going to have peace. Amen? Get this. Again, if you, you can probably hear the echoes of somebody in Christianity using this verse about peacemakers saying we need to go and stop war around the world. Now, am I all for stopping war? Absolutely. But that is not what this verse means. The scripture tells us very clearly that Jesus is the one, the only one, who can bring peace. No matter what we do, and some of you are military uh, veterans and we still have it all over this world, and it's never going to stop because as long as evil men have power, there will always be war. The peace that comes on this earth is he is our peace. If you know him, you know peace. If you don't, you'll never have peace. We need to be peacemakers. And that's why it says, blessed are the peacemakers for, go back a slide. I want to make sure I quote that right. Uh, One more. Uh, One more. Ah, they shall be called the children of God. How are you a peacemaker? It is someone who has received Jesus Christ as their savior. You are a child of God. Okay, just because someone might be a peace-loving person. Uh, they may be an, from an Eastern culture and uh, from you know, Buddhism or something else, and they believe in peace does not make them a child of God. What makes them a child of God is knowing the peace, Jesus. He is our peace. Okay, forward again where we were. Christians have a job. Now, I love this. As much as we talked about being a peacemaker, this is exactly what our job is. And all things are of God who hath reconciled. You know what reconciled means? 
Uh, you ever hear the phrase, they separated for irreconcilable differences? Meaning they couldn't work out the fight that they were continuing to have. So reconciling someone is bringing, making peace. Our ministry, why you and I are left here, hath, reconcil oh, nope, keep, hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are supposed to go out in this world and reconcile, peacemake with God. If blessed are the peacemakers is peace with God, our job is not to stop war. Our job is to reconcile people with God. Right? There are a lot of other verses, and I didn't want to preach this super long message today, so we kind of I cut them back. But God says, listen, before you were a believer, you were an enemy of Christ. You were at enmity with God. You were had a division. There was, you were not at peace. Our job as believers is to go out and preach Jesus and reconcile, bring peace between people and God. That's a peacemaker. Okay, keep going. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Well, pastor, you don't know. Man, this fits me really well. I've been persecuted. You don't understand the persecution I've been through. There's a key word here. Go to the next slide. For righteousness' sake. You know how many groups of people in this world at this exact moment are being persecuted? Right? People in Afghanistan, people in China, people all over this world, there are people being persecuted. Is that what this verse is talking to? Well, you know, I... I got caught drinking and driving, and I'm just being persecuted. No, you're not. Okay, you're getting the consequences of your stupidity. The key here is being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, how do we what? How do we describe righteousness? Um, there's a one of God's names in the Old Testament. He's called the Lord, our righteousness. You want to know what righteousness is? It's God. He is our righteousness. So if you say you're being persecuted for, keep going, fill that in. What is righteousness? Jesus is our righteousness. We are being persecuted for Jesus. That's what this means. Well, you don't understand the hardship in this world, all these people being put through things and persecuted. Listen, this verse applies to only those who are being persecuted for their faith in Christ. For righteousness sake. Not because you happen to live a certain place or have a certain skin color or speak a certain language or have a certain religion. None of those things qualify. You can be happy when you are being persecuted for Jesus. How many times do we see this, man? The Apostle Paul was brought in and threatened with murder and things 
because of preaching the gospel and they released them saying don't preach in this name anymore the apostles right and what did they do they went out right in the street and started preaching jesus name all over again the apostle paul says listen you don't understand what a what a blessing it is when i am bearing these burdens for the gospel's sake when you are persecuted for jesus you can be happy because you know what jesus said listen the world is going to hate you because it hated me there's a lot of great stuff here in these passages but i want to make it under make it you us understand that sometimes the way christendom portrays this stuff is not the way the scripture is written okay we're not going out in this world and just making peace we're not just going out in this world and just being meek okay there's much more to it than that as a matter of fact to the point where too often religion has taken these things way out of context keep going there's an interesting comparison between the beatitudes and the woes of the pharisees and we'll get into this more when we get to matthew chapter 23 remember the the pharisees at that time were the religious fundamentalists okay and you know there are religious groups out here who will try to keep people under their thumb with god's teaching forced behaviors out of them man i could even on a, a a lighter note i remember being in a church and they handed you a piece of paper and on that piece of paper it said i will not drink i will not smoke i will not go to the movies i will not do this i will not do that and you had to sign it at the bottom and put, give it into the pastor okay because they, it, it was all about keeping you from doing the things you should be doing and you know kiss the ring i'm the preacher do what i say well, interestingly enough, there are eight Beatitudes and there are eight woes. And it's amazing how they coincide with one another. So I'm just going to briefly put these up. Not a whole lot of teaching I want to do right at this point. But I just want you to say, see that sometimes when Christians or people who have a religion take a passage like this out of context and they could completely twist it. So these were the solid, Bible-believing fundamentalists in the Jewish religion, and this is how they treated people versus what Jesus was asking for. Go ahead. Matthew chapter 5, it says, the kingdom is open. Matthew chapter 23, it says, woe unto you Pharisees, because you've shut up the kingdom. Matthew chapter 5, it says, mourners are comforted. He says, woe unto you Pharisees, because they put distress and pressure and extra burden on the mourners. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, the meek shall inherit the earth. In Matthew chapter 23, it says, woe unto you, because you send fanatics compassing the earth and sea to make one just as a child of hell as you are. Okay, chapter 5, it says, uh, he talks about true righteousness. And in chapter 23, he says, woe unto you, because you walk about with a false righteousness. Keep going. Matthew chapter 5 says, Mercy. We just read it, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Matthew chapter 23 says, You've stopped being merciful to people. Matthew chapter 5 talks about pure heart within. We just talked about that, right? Having a purity and vision. Uh, that should say vision without. I typed that wrong. 
uh, purity without. The, the, he says, woe unto you Pharisees because you look all dressed up and religious on the, ins- on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. Okay, they're blinded on the inside. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. He says to the Pharisees, um, you guys are cursed because you think you're above the law. How many times have we seen that in our society, those who are in religious leadership think they can get away with anything? And the last one, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And in Matthew chapter 23, it says, Woe unto you, Pharisees, because you persecute the righteous, those who are living a proper life. I think it was, it's interesting here that Jesus is laying out these qualities for a person who is in his kingdom and is completely opposite from what the Jewish leadership was doing in service of Jehovah. It's an amazing contrast. So I want us to remember that there are a lot of people in this world who look at these Beatitudes and handle them completely wrong. God's given us an idea here. If you're one of my countrymen, you're in my kingdom, this is my constitution. This is the way I'd like to see you guys act. If you want to reflect who I am as your king, these Beatitudes are guidelines for our behavior. So the last slide says... These qualities are representative of those who are servants of the King, Jesus Christ. Happy are you if you are a follower of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Are you happy today? Because it's real backward. Here are eight things we looked at that don't seem like high priority in our list of things that would make us happy. But Jesus is saying, you want true happiness? As a member of my kingdom? Be mournful, be meek. That'll bring you real happiness. Don't judge this world by what they think will make you happy. Jesus says, you want the constitution of my kingdom and how to achieve real spiritual happiness? This is the way to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, it's funny to me that if a man had written this book, They would have uh, written down things that are important to man. Over and over and over we see things that just don't seem to add up. That true happiness doesn't come from a full bank account and uh, retirement and all the bells and whistles and having all our uh, hobbies and everything by creature comforts in this world. Father, you wrote down something completely opposite of what we would think. That when we surrender our lives and put you on the throne, and Lord, we live according to your truth, that's where true happiness comes from. When we surrender ourselves to the authority and majesty of our God, we can have true happiness. And so, Father, I just thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for the life of Jesus, that not only did he come to be the king of the Jews, to fulfill all that the Old Testament had talked about. But he also came to teach us these personal truths that we can apply to our lives every day. And so, Lord, out of this whole sermon this last couple of weeks, as I've been reminding myself about it, there's one of these that has jumped out at me more than anything else. And that is that we are peacemakers. 
Lord, we are to go out with a ministry of reconciliation. Our job, why are we are left here, is there are people in this world who need to have peace with God. Not peace with their neighbors, not peace with their government, not peace around the world, but peace with God. And Lord, that's what you've left us here to do. We're to go out and introduce people to the only being in the universe who can offer true peace. So Father, we're about to hit the road here for another week and go out amongst people who I don't know what they're struggling with. I don't know where they are in their lives. But I do know if they have not uh, met Christ as Savior yet, they certainly do not have peace. And so Father, help us to reach out to them and show that There is something unexplainable when you can have peace of God. How do I know that? Because the Bible says, the peace of God which passes understanding. There's no way we can truly get a grip on how to explain it. It's just something amazing that only someone who has put their trust in Christ can can comprehend or experience. So Father, help us as we go out. I guarantee you one of us is going to bump into somebody who needs peace. And Jesus is the answer. Father, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.